as you can see from the screen, this is the online marketing class. I have to tell you um, that the structure is going to be a little bit different from what you saw on the door as you walked in. Um, we're dealing with folks from a wide variety of experience levels, I'm sure. So I'm going to try to adapt to what you guys feel like you need to know. So to start with, who are you guys? Um, what kind of agriculture operations do we have represented here? How many market gardens? Wholesale, where you're selling to restaurants or stores? Orchards? Okay, what am I missing? <laughs> People that are just curious. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So, uh, retail, retail business. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Good enough. Okay. I saw somebody else's hand. With was it you? Okay. All right, so we've got some, some agriculture, some retail business, and a writer. What do you write? Um, well, one thing is I'm here to teach the today. We're going to have a teacher's book. But I also write books and stories and articles. Okay. You will fit right in this because things have changed in the last year and content is now one of the most important things that can happen on a website. So we'll be talking a lot about that today. Um, how many of you have websites already? One, two, three, sort of. Are you getting results that you like? No? No? Okay. Who's planning on starting a website in the near future? Okay, one, two, three, cool. Does anybody have a website that they would be interested in volunteering for an audit later this afternoon? You don't have to answer right now, but if think about it. If we have time, I want to pull up the website live here and go through it from not, not just a technical perspective, but from the marketing perspective. And, and it'll be kind of like the audit that I do for prospective clients all the time. So, we know who you guys are, and maybe my clicker will work here. Maybe it won't. Ah, classroom etiquette. This is a little bit like, I would say more like a freewheeling Sabbath school lesson than a lecture, okay? I could stand up here and lecture, but you would be experiencing death by PowerPoint very quickly because this is not something that's easy to make lively and exciting. I mean, I could spend 40 hours going through and picking out slides that would have all bright colors and, and flashy lights and everything, but you're going to learn more by asking questions. If I am talking, if I'm using vocabulary that you don't know what I'm saying, raise your hand. Interrupt. If I'm not, if I ignore your hand, yell at me. Okay? I'm, I'm pretty informal. The most important thing is I want you guys to understand, have a good, clear overview of the entire online marketing process, and hopefully we can dive into some of the areas that you're most specifically interested in. So, don't sit there and go to sleep. Wave your hand, holler, yell, Dave, just don't throw chairs. All right. Okay, so who am I? I've been in marketing since the early 1990s, um, one form or another. I've been in online marketing since 1995. I quit my job and started a web hosting, web design business and promptly went broke. Because in 1995, about uh, two people out of every hundred knew what a website was. And those two could care less. They didn't know how it applied to having a business or why their business. I had more people tell me, 
I don't need that website thing. That's not ever going to, you know, that's just a, a thing. You know, everybody always said that the fax machine was going to be the big thing and nothing happened. And this web thing is going to be just like it. Well, that's changed. I just happened to be, you know, 25 years or so ahead of the curve. I've, most of my formal training is as a copywriter. And I have done a lot of work in direct response copywriting. Uh, as I kind of got jaded on the persuasion and, and some of the hype that goes along with the direct mail, I, I wrote the stuff that you guys get in the mail and you just toss in the trash can. Except that the clients that I worked for were actually a little better targeted than that. They, they sent you something that you actually wanted, but uh, I, I wrote sales letters and that type of thing. I've been involved in most forms of website development except the most absolutely technical coding stuff uh, that goes on underneath the hood. I do a little bit of that, but I try to stay as far away from that as possible, and most people are quite happy that I stay away because that's, if I have a weak spot, it's that under the hood tinkering. Email marketing, uh, again, that's, that's some things that I've been involved with. I've, been, I've owned and operated a number of businesses from market, uh, manufacturing, uh, information publishing, and online marketing services. So as we talk about woodworking businesses or writing business, uh, the, these other things, I have some background that I can speak to in those areas. Currently, I'm the technical director for the Center for Online Evangelism. And although I'm not representing them here today, uh, figured maybe you'd like to know that I'm not just here making this stuff up. This is something that I have to do all the time. Yes, ma'am? Well, I do have a question. Do we have Wi-Fi here? Do we have Wi-Fi? They're not giving it. They're not giving it away. I have a team of seven people that uh, are full-time with us that I lead. They're, they're a virtual team. We're scattered all over the country. Uh, I've got, in fact, I've got a guy in the Philippines that contracts. He's not one of my full-timers, but uh, we, we do a virtual team. So we're spread out all over the country and around the world. And what we do is the stuff that we're going to talk about today. My specialty now is in strategic planning and content marketing, which we'll get into in, in much greater detail later. Gardening, of course, this is an, an agriculture conference, so you might want to know just a little bit about my gardening background. I grew up on a five-acre micro farm. We had 40 fruit trees, about an acre in garden, uh, nine rows of raspberries, and each row was 110 feet long, and I knew every inch of them and hated them. <laughs> I can't stand raspberries to this day, plus another... 110-foot row of blackberries, and so this was what put me through boarding academy, uh, working on this little micro farm, selling our produce. I have been a master gardener in Washington State and worked in the county extension office. Uh, I was the coordinator for their master gardener program and master composting programs. I have permaculture training. I've been involved in several school gardens either continuing or setting up greenhouse operations. And of course, you might guess from that that I have an interest in school gardening. Uh, I also enjoy uh, experimental gardening, looking for different techniques uh, for intensive gardening and, and high yield and, and so on. And forest gardening, because I live in a little hollow in Tennessee with woods around us. Uh, I've developed an interest in the forest gardening, forest farming, um, also, some people call it uh, woodlands homesteading. So it's, it's dealing with native plants, native trees, tree crops, mushrooms, and so on. My wife is, is a former elementary school teacher, taught for 17 years, and now we're homeschooling our son on 13 acres in rural Tennessee. So. That's my bio, and enough about that. Let's talk about websites. Why bother? This was the question I got when I started back in 1995. Why bother with a website? Rece uh, studies are showing now that more than 90% of people will look 
you up online. What did you just do? You looked me up. Yeah, you want to know what Center for Online Evangelism is, so you look me up. Google. You know, that's the first thing. It doesn't matter if you're selling woodworking or whether you're writing, uh, whether you're selling honey or produce. Uh, maybe you have a CSA. The first thing that people do is they look you up online. So whether you like it or not, the website is your front door. I'm guessing that most of you that would have people coming to your farm for whatever reason, you're not going to have it, you're going to do your best to not let it look trashy, right? You want it to look neat, you want it to look inviting, you want it to be a witness, and that's part of the, this Adventist agriculture thing is we want, our, we want our agricultural lifestyle to be a witness to others. So you, you make it neat, you make it clean, you make it appealing, but yet I see this all the time, we work with uh, churches and schools, academies, and so on with their web presence. And it's not unusual at all to see a church that has a website that is announcing the fall festival for October 2014. You know, it's, is that inviting? Is, is that your, you know, you're going to leave, do you still have pumpkins sitting around your church front door? So for your farm, for your business, it's your front door. And, and I'm sorry if you don't like it, but this is the reality. And if people can't find you online, unfortunately, a lot of them say, well, they must not be serious. It, it's like years ago, if you were going to be serious about business, you had to have a business name, you had to business cards and a and letterhead. You know, and if you, were, if you were really serious, you had a dedicated phone line that people could call and you could say, hi, Dave Sharp, business here. But now it's the, the website. If you don't have a website, people will often think that you're not serious. So before we go get into the overview of this whole online marketing thing, I want to go over a couple of misconceptions because... There's a lot of misconceptions. We're not going to cover everyone. We'll get some of them. One is that online marketing is computer science. Um, Charles is good with the computer, so let's give this online, let's give this website thing to him. It doesn't work that way. It's not computer science. It's marketing. Another one is that you can just build a website, set it, and forget it, and walk away. In some cases, you can sort of. But you have to know your market and you have to know what you're doing in order to, to get away with that. People are looking for relevant information and if you just set your website and you forget it or you just build it and you walk away from it, you're going to have a hard time staying on, on much less getting on the first page of, of Google search results, but staying there is going to be really difficult because one of the things that Google looks at when they position your website in those search rankings is when was the website last edited? When was something last edit, added to it? When was something last changed? And it makes a, makes a difference. It's a ranking factor. Another misconception is, is something we used to call China math. And I, I worked in a, started my my marketing career in a mail order house and we wholesaled security products and people would call us and they have this great idea they want to order some security products and their thinking went along the lines of I'm gonna run an ad in this paper I found in China and there's, what, 900 million people in China, and if I, normal mail order direct response rate, response rate is about 2%. Well, I'm not greedy, so I'm not going to try to get 2%. I think if I could deal with half of a percent. But if half a percent of those 900 million people buy my product, I'm going to be rich. It's not quite that bad uh, with websites, but it still is that you know, a little bit that way. You are not going to build a website and put woodworking products on it or your CSA on it or your writing, your books. 
You're not going to do that and all of a sudden have more work and more sales than you can handle. This is uh, a bit more complicated than that, as you'll see. Another misconception is, is I can build a website and I'm going to get quick results. Next week, I'm going to be so busy that I can't keep up with the orders because I put up a website and launched it this week. It doesn't work that way. Online marketing is a long-term process. And in fact, some of the things, like if you're really, if one of your main focus points, focal points is that you want to have your website show up on page one of Google search results for a specific search, plan on two years of good, solid, consistent work. And then the next one is I don't need the fancy stuff, just give me the basic website and be done with it. No, you don't need all the fancy bells and whistles, but um, there are some things that you do need and you do need to consider. We won't spend a lot of time on video today, but video is one of the things that people are starting to expect when they see on a website. So, you know, it used to be video would choke the internet and we, and we couldn't do anything. Then it started uh, showing up and we could do a little bit of streaming and it was real jerky and, and everybody hated it. It clogged down the load time on the website. Nowadays, if you don't have a video in some markets, you may as well forget online marketing. Some markets, not all. So, after hearing all that doom and gloom, the point I'm trying to make is that online marketing takes commitment. This is not a, a thing that you just do just because everybody else is doing it or just because you want to try it. It takes commitment, just like any marketing effort for any business. And that means time, it means money, it means somebody's got to put the effort in. So uh, hopefully by the time we're done here, you'll have a picture of what it takes. And even if you can't do all the work yourself or you don't have somebody to delegate it to, you will be able to have enough knowledge to tell whether somebody else knows what they're talking about or not. So, an overview of the process up to a point. Before you start building your website, there's a number of things that you really need to do. If you've already built your website and you didn't do any of this stuff, then don't give up. Just go back and do this stuff <laughs> because it's pretty important for any marketing effort, especially a website, because there's competition for everything out there. I don't care what you're doing, you'll find somebody that's already got a website built about it, which is not a bad thing. Okay, so first you need to research your market, and in some cases, that's going to be a local market. If you're a writer, you're going to be researching your readers. If you're doing woodworking, uh, you, it depends on where you want to sell. If you're looking to do an e-commerce site, you need to look at people out there on the internet that are buying woodworking uh, products. If it's a CSA, you're researching your local market. And we'll go into more detail on how that works. There's decisions you've got to make, there's planning that you have to do, and there's a lot of writing that you have to do before you build the website. So we try to create a system where you add the content, then you optimize the content, you drive and attract traffic to the website. So you've got, to, you've got to have that website platform and then you optimize it so that Google sees it and says, yeah, this is relevant content. We're going to push it up higher in the rankings and the search, search engine results. And then you've got, you can't just leave it at that. You've got to find ways to drive or attract traffic. Now, driving traffic is a little more like old school marketing where you pushed people to a business. Um, what works better now on online is where you're attracting them, you're pulling them in. 
So it means you give stuff away a little bit more, and it takes a little bit more work, but in the long run, it tends to pay off. Once you get the visitors to the website, you've got to engage them. You can't just leave them there wandering in the wastelands of the, of the website. You've got to engage them, give them something to do, something to interact with. This is one of the areas right here where I see more websites falling down on the job than anywhere else. Oh, bless you. Thank you. A failure to capture names. This is one of the primary functions of a website. Unless you are selling widgets for 47 cents, order here, pay right now. One of the primary functions of the website is to capture a name so that you can now continually market, provide relevant information, engage that person. We used to call it drip marketing. Now we call it nurturing. And again, we'll go into more detail on that. Yes, sir. I have a question that's more about when you say why bother with the website. I have a friend who says, well, if you have a good product, all your advertising is word of mouth, so it's really good. Will websites still increase on that? Websites will still increase word of mouth, although I've known many, many people who had excellent products who starved to death with, because they relied on word of mouth. Word of mouth nowadays is called social media and so we will talk about social media uh, a little bit later but that's that's the word-of-mouth part and you still have to actually work at it but once you once you work at it and and just the short version of that is how you do that is you give your audience something to share on social media so that may be putting out a tweet it may be putting a post on Facebook it may be writing an article, and then other people share it. There's your word of mouth in the digital age. Okay, we already talked about nurturing. And here's the other part where a lot of marketers or would-be marketers fall down, is they fail to track what's going on. I can do 47 things with my website to try to attract traffic, and if one of them is working and the others are not, I'm wasting my effort. Do I know which one's working? Sure, I know which one's working because I'm tracking it. I'm looking at my results. Um, and as we go on today, I'll, I'll tell you some stories about how I learned some of these lessons the hard way. Uh, I, I don't always follow my own rules. And when I don't, I usually get bit. This is one of them that I, that I haven't always done, is tracking and analyzing results. So. Don't skip these steps. In content marketing and copywriting, we have a, a concept that we call a key marketing message platform. And this is something that you should do with your farm, your woodworking business, your books, anything that you're doing. This is, becomes a document that you can refer to over and over and over again. And by the way, I will... Uh, if you guys want, I am happy to email my slides to you so that you don't have to scribble word for word what I'm saying. Uh, they got some adapting done at the very last minute, so that's why they're not on the website, on the Ag Association's website. But they will be posted with the audio on Audioverse, but I'll be happy to email it to you separately if you wish because I've got a long list of questions here that you need to be thinking about. And even if you already know them, write them down because you do your woodworking business, you see you get really busy making boxes. And now you're so busy making boxes, you don't have time to work on your website. So you get Joe Smith next door who doesn't know beans about, you wouldn't dare let him near a saw because he'd cut his fingers off, but he's, he's a pretty good writer. If you have this thing written down, you can say, here, Joe, here's our key marketing message platform, go to it. And Joe will know what to write. He will know what your target, well, we'll see here what, you, what he knows. This becomes a branding document, businesses, 
have branding documents where they, they talk about the colors that they used, uh, the logo, where the, whether the logo is a horizontal logo or a vertical one, you know, where it's stacked and when it's used where, and so on. You may be just a small farm or a garden, but this is invaluable when you start growing and you're no longer able to do the work yourself. So describe your specific target markets. I used to say target market singular because in business, typically, you want to be targeting one area. Uh, your product is not for everybody. If you're trying to sell something to everybody, nobody ends up buying it usually. You need to very specifically target. However, with agriculture, I'm finding that you may have three or four target markets. You may have a CSA. You may have restaurants, a couple of restaurants that are buying your microgreens. You might have the uh, local Winn-Dixie may have a whole section of your produce sitting there. Uh, so you have separate target markets in the ag industry. And so your website will need to take account of that. The description of the voice that you'll be using. Now, you know what I'm talking about with voice. Does everybody else, does anybody else know what I mean, the voice that you'll be using? You know, because you're a writer. No? Yes. Mm -hmm. If you're a woodworker that wants to sell the people who want to buy furniture, you'll talk differently than if you're a woodworker who wants to talk to other woodworkers. Right. If I want to talk to writers, I'll use terms like voice and point of view, and they'll know what I mean. If I want to talk to somebody who knows why, and if I want to talk to somebody who's writing and reading my Christian, specifically local type books, I'll speak differently than to those who maybe want to buy my novels, although. <laughs> well, but don't tell them that. <laughs> yes, exactly. I write, one of the clients that I write for is a very, very dry uh, part of the construction industry. And so I'm writing to architects and engineers and inspectors. And so it's a data-driven uh, piece that I write. It's all details and this is what to do now and this is what to do next and this is what this data means and so on. When I write for uh, online marketing, for example, for churches and schools, I'm a lot chattier and informal and there's a reason that I do it. You'll find a lot of digital marketers don't. They, they are you know, kind of up there on their ivory tower and, and we have specialized knowledge. I try to be much more informal because I'm trying to make this knowledge accessible. I can't do all the work. I can't do all the work that's represented here in this room. So why should I try to hoard it all to myself? I want it to be friendly, I want it to be accessible. This stuff is intimidating enough as it is. So the tone that I use and the voice that I use for an event like this is different than if I were standing up front preaching a sermon. You need to have an idea, a clear idea of what voice you're using on your website so that your message is consistent, so that it's consistent across your website. You need to explain and you need to be clear in your mind the value that your product provides. Why should I eat your bell peppers? Is it because they're prettier green than what I see in Walmart? Or is it a variety that has actually has better nutrients? Um, is it because if I don't eat your bell peppers, you're going to starve this winter? I don't, you know, give me a reason why I should should want your product rather than something that's been imported from China or Mexico or Chile. In your marketing platform document, create some sample headlines. And again, this is for when you're passing, when you're going to be passing this off to somebody else is when this is going to be more important. Any headline that you should you use should always be benefit oriented. You've seen this out there, uh, lose, lose 10 pounds in 21 days. 
benefit-oriented headline. Okay, it's a little over the top. Uh, FTC would probably come and fuss because it's a little too specific for a health-oriented type of, of thing, but um, it's a sample of a benefit-oriented headline. And then a description of how your process works, whether it's, whether it's what happens when I order a wooden box, what happens when I buy one of your books, what happens when I subscribe to your CSA. A description of all, the, all that information. Again, the, the USP, the unique selling proposition. Why should I go to you? There's another CSA down the down the road. Why should I buy your wood, wood products? Because I can go to Amazon and find just about anything I want, or I can go to Etsy and find it. Why yours? Okay. And he actually had people come to the group that sat there and say, why should I spend eighty to hundred dollars on these buckets? I can get one for four dollars at Walmart. My husband eventually started going to Walmart and he had to do that. But he explained, when I have all my supplies here, it takes me a full day at work to create something. But if you take care of it the way that I tell you to, you know, I still have my husband has friends and kids, and it's the same way his needs and things we do to him. And people who to whom that's a benefit mm -hmm. will buy that bucket. And then they go to Walmart. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Unique selling proposition. It's really important. Now, tying along, I'm going to borrow your example of the, of the buckets. Emotional selling proposition statement. Sometimes you'll hear people talking about this, but not a lot. It's not used a lot. An example of an emotional selling proposition for for her illustration of handmade buckets. Because I like history. I like old ways. I like supporting people who are, are keeping some of those old skills alive. That's my emotional hook. If you want to sell me a wooden bucket that costs $80, sell me on the emotional impact of knowing that I am supporting an artisan who has spent his life mastering these skills. Okay, it's it's a, it's very similar to the USP, but it's a little bit different. What's the emotional hook for me? And as you as you talk to your customers and your clients, you will find these little hooks, and you need to make notes of them. Unique. Yes. Okay. It. I'm going to say it depends. There are people who build very thriving businesses on Etsy and Amazon, especially craft-oriented, without a website. However, I think that people who do build that website, if they do it right, if they're doing it to tell a story. Now there's a story behind this because, and I don't know what the story is, but I'm suspicious that there's a story behind your woodworking business. Because I don't ever see kids this age, I know you guys aren't kids, but to me, you're, you're, <laughs> I'm an old man. I don't ever see kids out selling woodworking products. So there's a story behind that. You're not going to tell it as well on Etsy or Amazon as you are going to tell on your website. And not only that, but if you are doing it right on your website, let's say I come to your website and I subscribe to your, your email, I give you my email address, and now you can send me something every week or every month. Maybe I'll end up buying four or five times as much from you over the next two years because you had a website and you built that relationship with me. 
that the story gives people more emotionally in-depth mm -hmm. that they had a crisis with that too? Is mm -hmm. that part of that? Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. If I can speak publicly, because I'm writing and I'm interviewing and I'm doing I can sell 10 to 25 percent of that because what they feel is missing from me. Mm -hmm. And I usually will end up selling some of these stories and I'm not going to have time. They do it well. <laughs> I start crying and then I pay back. And then everybody's like, oh, that's cool because the first time that ever happened, I was astonished because they said, oh, now we know you're going to take some good stuff. I'm like, what? And I remembered, oh, that's how I used to think about speaking. It's a. This is a huge thing. Go ahead. Saying that a website would be more about telling the story of your It should be that instead of selling, don't sell. Tell your story. People hate to be sold. People love stories. Right. Well, and you're not going to have the ministry on Etsy. You know, that's, that's another point. But let me pull in from the center where I work is a nonprofit organization, and 90% of the people that we work with are other nonprofits. Nonprofit. What happens when you get a solicitation, a direct mail solicitation in the mail to, to, to support, I don't know, the orphans in Africa, all right? You know, they spent a ton of money on sending that. They didn't just send it to you just because they are blanket mailing. That piece cost them probably $2 for that whole thing that you're holding there in your hands. They're going to lose money on that, on that direct mail effort. But still they do it because they're going to get long-term benefits. You're going to donate $25 now. Next month you're going to donate $25 again. And it may, it may have cost them $30 to get you to make that first donation. How do they do it? Hi, this is Jackson. Jackson was in a refugee camp in Rwanda and he had to walk down to the bottom of the hill every day to the only source of water in the refugee camp and it had and he had to share it with 20,000 other people can you imagine sitting in line with 20,000 people all getting their water from the same spigot every day and Jackson got a chance to get out of the out of the refugee camp and got sent to an Adventist boarding academy and Jackson now has a chance to make a change in his life and Jackson's taking advantage of it. Do you know that last school term, he got 100% in all of his grades, and he's the top of every class that he's in. Jackson has a chance now to go on to the University of Central Africa, and when he gets a good job, he's going to be able to get the rest of his family out of the camp. Now, how many of you are reaching for your wallet saying, how can I help Jackson? Okay, I could have told you, there's an organization that's helping refugees get out of their camps and sending them to boarding academies in Africa, and they really could use your help. Not anywhere near the same impact, is there? By the way, it's a true story about Jackson. So storytelling is huge. The thing that you have to do with the storytelling is you've got to have a call to action at the end of it. If you don't, then you've lost, you've wasted the emotional impact. But uh, that's, that's how you end up selling more by telling stories. And commercial businesses now are finally catching on to this. In the last year, I've seen a lot more interest and a lot more discussion out there in the commercial world about selling your brand through stories. And it's great for those of us that like to tell stories. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and you know those soap, soap operas have run for how many years? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, and and that's critical in the area that I'm at. I'm I'm not market gardening. I'm doing good right now to have a hole in the ground. But if I were, I would have to come up with a really really good story. You know why? Because I the nearest farmers market is dominated by a Mennonite community, and you can imagine how their vegetables look compared to what mine would look like. I I there's no way I'll ever compete with them on quality of produce. I'd have to find a story that competes with their story, and they've already got a good story. So I may have to go find a different mar farmer's market. <laughs> but you're so right. It's, and, and this is something that I'll bring into on, the, on a website we're going to look at in a few minutes. Even if you're going to a farmer's market, if you tell your story, people will buy your produce, they'll buy your value-added products. And like you say, they walk right past everybody else. You're going to have a chance to experience some of this power of story. Um, tomorrow and Friday, we have, I think, six different families that we're interviewing to tell their experience, what they're doing. You mentioned you know, the, how speakers sometimes look like they're up, up there. Yeah, we're gonna interview six families that are either have made the transition or are making the transition. You're going to be able to hear stories. The idea behind this is we've got a lot of people here, uh, well over 600. Only a small fraction of them are actually making a living with agriculture right now. A great portion are people who are interested. They want to know, how do I get from this city life to the country living thing that I'm supposed to be doing? They're going to be sitting and listening to these families talk about their struggles and the challenges and how they've gotten to where they've gotten. And I... I expect those to be very powerful sessions, telling stories. All right, I got to quit telling stories and get on here. We're not ever going to. No, I think I skipped it. <laughs> product positioning. How are you going to position your product? Let's let's say sweet potatoes. Uh, are you going to position them as a commodity? Here, you can buy sweet potatoes a dozen for a dollar. Or are you going to position these as the best sweet potatoes grown in this county? They are specially chosen for their nutritional value. We don't grow the stuff that you can find in Walmart. We've got stuff that our sweet potatoes are much higher in nutrition. Our sweet potatoes will last longer because they haven't been shipped from... Africa or wherever it was that Walmart gets theirs from. Ours are non-GMO. Nobody's been tinkering with their genetics. These are prime. And as a matter of fact, we believe in our sweet potatoes so much that we sit there and we scrub each one with a brush before we put it out for you to buy. We don't want to, you know, we want you to be able to just bite into the thing and eat it without having to wash it even. Okay, it, positioning the commodity that's just there in the big bin in the middle of Walmart's produce department or a high-end, very special product, um, premium. If you can position it as a premium item, you can get more money for it, which is what we all want, right? Tagline... Um, if, just in case you're not familiar with the tagline, the, the easiest thing is just to tell you a tagline that we've used at my job in the past, uh, Center for Online Evangelism, transforming websites, transforming lives. Okay, so that, that transforming websites, transforming lives is a tagline. It's a little thing that says a little bit more about what we do. Usually it's a little bit fluffy and not real you know, super specific, but it, it just adds a little bit more to your, your name or your, your logo and so on. So in this document, make sure you're making a note of what logo you're using, the colors, any other elements like on, 
on our website, we use Helvetica font. On our website, um, we use earth tones based in brown and green. Uh, you know, things that a designer would know, but if you pass those along, if you have these in the document in a central location, then if you hand me this document and say, Dave, we need some, we need some content for our website. I can flip through that and I know exactly what to do. Otherwise, it's going to take me about three hours of asking you questions and you're going to be saying, I, you know, we haven't really thought about that. I don't know what to do. Well, the uh, tagline kind of sets the pattern of the rest of the website. Yeah, yeah, it, because when we were using that tagline, our, our whole focus was then let's, let's take your website and we'll, we'll make it better. We'll optimize it, we'll make it useful so that it actually can attract people and it can be used as an outreach platform, not just a, an information, you know, like a billboard. So yes, it, it's kind of a transition between, here's the name of my business, here's my tagline, and now here's what we do and how it benefits you and so on. All right, questions that you need to see? We haven't even gotten into building the website yet, look at this. Still got more questions to ask. I'm going to breeze through these fairly quick. If you have a specific question, don't hesitate to jump up and, and stop me in the middle of it. Who's your market? Is it the guy down the street? Is it the next county over? Is it high-end, educated uh, people with, with two incomes and no kids? Uh, is, it, is it the average person down the, down the street that lives in a double-wide and has 14 dogs and, and two kids. What are your goals for the site? Do you want to sell? Do you want to witness? Do you want to build a relationship? Know what your goals are. What's the most desired action? If I come to your website, what do you want me to do? There's different things. Do you want me to sign up for your email list? Do you want me to buy your wooden boxes? Do you want me to sign up for your CSA? If you don't know, there, I can guarantee you that I won't know when I go to your website. You need to know what, what the most desired action is when somebody hits your website. Again, what makes you different, that goes back to the, the uh, unique selling proposition and the emotional selling proposition. Why should someone come to you rather than a competitor and how are you going to position yourself? Are you the, the low end uh, of the market? or are you a premium product or service? That's your positioning. Where does your target market hang out? Online. Are they all on Facebook? Are they all on Twitter? Are they all using email? Uh, are they all on Instagram? Are they using Snapchat? Where are they hanging out online? How do they look for information? Now, you know, everybody uses Google. It's become a verb. You Google something. So that's a starting place, but there are people that, that when they want to know something, they go to YouTube. YouTube's the second largest search engine in the world right now. So they go to YouTube because they are video oriented, they're visual, they want to see a video, they don't want to read a, a description, they want to watch the video. So where do they look for information, the kind of information that you have? How are they going to find you? Are they searching? Are they actually going to Google and searching for CSA farms in my local area? How do they find you? How do they find what you want? And we used to say you need to do a lot of keyword research, and so that's why I had to cue the ominous music here, because keyword research can take hours and hours and hours. And fortunately, things have changed in the last year, year and a half and it is not nearly as important now. It's much more important that you develop a website around your topic. Google has figured out how to understand the intent behind a search. So you search for something, uh, starting back uh, two years, anyway, some time ago with the Hummingbird update, Google started figuring out if somebody uses these words, they may be looking for information on this thing over here that has nothing to do with these words, but the context and the fact that they, they pay attention to searches that you've done already in the past. So they have your personal search history, 
They, they know what you've clicked on out of Google pages in the past, you know, Google searches, and so they kind of guess, hmm, Dave is typing in Grants Pass Church. He probably, we noticed that he's done a lot of looking at Adventist stuff lately, so probably it's Grant Pass Adventist Church that Dave is looking for. So that's what they'll give me the first, that plus the fact that we've done an awful lot of work on that website to, to make it rank well. But, but the fact that they've changed and gotten so good at determining the intent now means that you don't have to spend as much effort on keyword research and finding the very specific keywords. Now we used to say you know, that long tail keywords was the way you build the traffic and that's um, you know, the broad keywords are things like pickup truck. Very broad. What kind of pickup truck? I don't know, any kind of pickup truck. The long tail keyword is something like left hand window crank for 57 Chevy pickup. Okay, very, very tight, specific. This is what I'm looking for exactly, and I even know what color I want. And it used to be that this was, if you, if you wanted to get good traffic to your website, this is the kind of thing you needed to do. You needed to figure out that everybody's looking for left, that, that your market's looking for left-hand window cranks for 57 Chevy pickups. And it takes a lot of effort to do that. So you are not going to have to worry too much about that, but you are going to have to establish yourself as an expert and an authority in your area. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.